So let's read our, our text from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, your, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. So I wanted to get that video out of the way so I can spend time looking at the heart of the fourth commandment, which is time. Okay, time. Sabbath time, we'll call it. Um, as we've been studying the Ten Commandments, we're looking, these again were the Ten Commandments given to Israel, but they still exist in the world today. Uh, um, they show God's heart. They're going to teach us a lot. We, we studied number one, how we, or who we worship, which was God only. You shall have no other gods. Remember that? All right. Then the second commandment was how we worship. We don't worship with images that we can see and touch. The third commandment was how not to worship, not in vain, okay? And today we're going to learn when to worship on the Sabbath, okay? This was the requirement for them. So this commandment is going to teach about the timing of worship. What time do we owe God in this life? Okay, good Christian answer. Ten Jesus points for all of you. What parts of our life does God get to use and to dictate how we use them? All of it, right? This command, this Sabbath day command, is like a test for your heart. It's a test of where our hearts really are at. Do we belong to God or do we really serve ourselves? What does the Sabbath command teach us and help us with today? Well, I'm going to start by something that happened three Sabbaths ago. <laughs> That's like a fortnight and a half ago. Or I guess I could say three weeks ago, and you'd all understand. I'm going to read an article from the New York Times, and you guys are well aware of this, but the Hawaii Emergency Management Service worker who sent a false alert warning of an incoming nuclear ballistic missile this month had a long history of poor performance and sent the warning because he thought the state faced an actual threat, officials said on Tuesday. The mistake, which touched off a panic and confusion across Hawaii on January 13th. You guys remember this? Anyone not hear about this? Okay, so there was... In, let me fill you in. In Hawaii, everyone on their cell phones got a message. Do you have the picture that I emailed you? No? Okay. You, they have a, a picture, a message that came across everyone's cell phone that said, what? Yeah, like an Amber Alert that said, incoming ballistic missile, find shelter, this is not a drill, you're all going to die a nuclear death. Something like that, right? Well, so it's really happened. So for 38 minutes, nobody heard anything else. That's all that they had. Everyone in Hawaii had this information that they're going to die soon. <laughs> so, and this was January 13th, which was guess what day? A Saturday. It was a Sabbath. How about that? It was just for us, so we could teach about it today. Um, so this occurred when a worker misinterpreted testing instructions from a supervisor. 
according to the FCC and state officials in Hawaii. Believing that the instructions were for a real emergency, the worker, who has not been identified, sent the live alert to cell phones on the, of all Hawaii residents and visitors to the state. <laughs> state officials had previously described the episode as an accident shortly, shortly after it happened, but now they're saying that uh, after an investigation, that it wasn't really an accident. This person actually believed that there was a missile coming in. Um, the commission investigation revealed a series of missteps that led to the false alert, including major gaps in Hawaii's protocol. Uh, the state report was more critical of the employee who, sa who said it fired. they fired him. Um, the investigation found that he had been a source of concern for 10 years, and he had twice before confused drills with real-world situations. Twice. Yeah. In, re in related development, the administrator of the Hawaii Ma Emergency Management Agency resided, resigned on Tuesday. So what happened is at 8.05, the reports say a supervisor at the agency began an unplanned drill during a shift change. The supervisor pretended to be from the United States Pacific Command in a phone call placed to a day shift workers. In the call, the supervisor said, exercise, 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 as is required when tests are conducted. According to the FCC, the supervisor also erroneously said, this is not a drill. According to Bruce Oliveira, a retired Army general who led the investigation, the message spoken uh, did not adhere to the script, but he kind of went off script, and so the guy... Um, uh, didn't hear the exercise, exercise, exercise part, and then he he went to his computer. There's a drop-down menu that includes real tests and fake tests, alerts, and when uh, he selected the real one, and then it said, are you sure you want to send this alert? And he clicked yes. And then he froze for like 30 minutes. He just sat there. People were yelling at him, trying to get him to change it, and he froze and would not move or speak to anybody. Crazy, huh? So they fired him. But I read all that because I want you guys to really get into the mindset of the 38 minutes that the people of Hawaii thought this was not a test. They thought it was real. It was actually just a test, which is crazy. It was a very effective test of where they were at in their life and with God. And it was so effective because it seemed real to anybody. This test didn't make people crazy, did it? This test showed how crazy people were. And if you don't know what I'm referencing, there were many crazy things that happened during this 38 minutes. People were driving around Hawaii running every red light, just going crazy. People were screaming and, and contemplating suicide. People were yelling and, and crying and praying, lots of praying. One guy filmed a goodbye message to his wife and then continued golfing. A lot of people had a lot of different reactions, and this test tested, it revealed what they were inside, what was going on inside. Most people worried, some trusted in God, and that's great, it's cool. But all were tested. The light shone on every person, 
and revealed what was inside. There was no hiding. There was no escape. The end was coming, and this is not a drill. It's the end of the world as we know it. I would have turned that on on my cell phone. That would have been funny. (laughs) And I suggest today that we take a look at the fourth commandment of the Sabbath day requirement as a similar test of our hearts. We're going to let it shine on our hearts, and we're going to see what it says about us when we hear the Sabbath day commandment. We're going to allow it to shine the light of truth into our hearts. And, though, and through some thoughtful self-criticism, we're going to be able to see the wonderful grace and love of God and of Jesus better when we're done than we do right now, okay? You on board? Ready for a test? Pencils up? Notes away? Just kidding. You can keep You can take notes. <laughs> All right. So the law, this law demands one-seventh of your time. In Israel, right? It demanded one-seventh. And we don't like that. They don't like, they didn't like it either. This day was to be spent in the service of God doing what he wants you to do. And what he wanted you to do was rest, right? Not work. Uh, He wanted you to be thinking, not doing. He wanted you to be abiding, not increasing. He wanted you to be waiting. And we hate waiting. Anyone in here love waiting in line at the DMV? No, we don't. Nobody likes waiting. But God commands, I want one-seventh of your time, and you are to, in that time, have a chill day where you're not working. God commanded Israel to spend one day a week in total dependence upon him. Have I told you, you need to spend one day doing nothing a week. Ooh, what does that start to make you feel inside? I am going to get bored. Who shouted that out? Well, well done. Good job, Caleb. You are a true man right there. <laughs> Brave. We, can, we consider boring. We're, we're, we consider that boring. But God says, I don't care. You're going to do what I say. It's important for you to learn to depend on me, to pause and, and get into spiritual things, learning to wait upon God. Waiting upon God, that's, Not an exciting topic for us, is it? We want God to answer now, quickly, right away, because that's how our remote control responds on our TV. We've been trained. I want directions, give it to me, Google. And it responds and it answers and it serves us instantly and does not make us wait. And when it starts to get a little slow, we say, I need a new Google, Googler. The faster processor. He wants us to be meditating on his faithfulness and power and greatness and resting in his promises and in his supply. And it's not popular to rest in someone else. It's to hand over control to someone else is like giving up in our culture today. And it's not highly regarded. Out in the world, we hear things like my time and me time. You guys heard that one? We hear those things a lot. Don't tell me what to do. 
Don't tell me what to believe. You know, tabasami. My wife and I say that all the time. If you were alive in 1978, who was alive in 1978? All right, some of you. You may remember the number two song that year. It was by Billy Joel. And it said, I don't need you to worry for me because I'm all right. I don't want you to tell me it's time to come home. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. Right? 1978, Billy Joel, my life. Our hearts long to make our own decisions. What's fun for me? You can't tell me what I think is fun. We want to be our own boss. That's exactly what Adam and Eve chose when they rejected God's authority in exchange for being able to make their own decisions. God's like, I want to give you everything. And they're like, we don't want that. We want to make our own decisions. So remember that this Sabbath day was a minimum requirement. One day in seven. We're going to fast forward now to when Jesus came and how Jesus established some things for us. Jesus intensified the reach of the law every time. We've seen in all these commands, the Old Testament command was was pretty hard, but when Jesus came, he intensifies the Old Testament command. So like when, uh, uh, when we become followers of Jesus, this message of the law doesn't become, oh, just forget about it. It becomes more full, more complete of a requirement. Like when Jesus said, um, you've heard it say, don't murder, but I say to you, what do you say? Don't hate, right? So Jesus said, when you've hated, you've committed murder. He, he didn't make the law nice and fluffy and, oh, that was a mistake. I didn't mean to be so hard on you guys. No, he said the law is way more intense than any of you think it is. Even if you hate, you're guilty of breaking murder in your heart because you wish you could murder that person. And so it gets to the intentions of the heart. The law just doesn't govern the outward, and that's what Jesus comes. That's what the intensification is, is it's not just your outward behavior. I didn't kill him. Yeah, but you hate him. Well, yeah, so you're killing him in your heart. Oh, okay. So the law is more intense. So we get to this Sabbath day. The law says one-seventh of your time belongs to God, where he gets to tell you what to do, what to think, and what to not do. And in the New Testament, the law of Christ says it's not one-seventh of our time, but it's all of our time belongs to God. Turn with me to John chapter 7. We're going to be in the New Testament. We're going to dig around in some verses in the New Testament. So you can leave behind Exodus now and flip around with me. John chapter 7. Uh, let's start in verse 2. We're going to be in John. We're going to be in Romans. We'll bounce around a little bit. So, John chapter 7. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. And Jesus' brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may also may see the works that you are doing. 
for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So the brothers of Jesus, they come to him and say, hey, Jesus, you know what? Everyone's getting together in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. Why don't you go there and do some of these miracles? Because everyone's calling us crazy because you're our brother. Everyone thinks we're nuts. And we don't even believe in you, but it would really help us out if you just went and did some miracles so everyone can start believing in you. And we really don't think you can anyway because you're weirdo. That's what basically they're saying here. But Jesus said to them, my time, my time has not yet come. Remember, this Sabbath day is about time. And we're looking to Jesus first, how he dealt with time. He said, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. Other uh, translations say always convenient. You can do whatever you want, he's saying. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Jesus is showing the difference here between how he looks at time, but versus how they look at time, his unbelieving brothers. His point is basically this. Life is short, and eternity is long. So live for eternity every moment of the day. That's Jesus' point. Billy Graham said this. You guys know who Billy Graham is? He's a good guy. He said, and he's, have you seen him now? He's old like super old, wrinkly. He's 90 what? 99. Old, right? He said this just recently. He said, days were plentiful and cheap when I was young, like penny candy. I always had a pocket full and I spent them casually. Now, my supply is diminished, and their value has soared. Each one becomes worth its weight in gold of dawn. Suddenly, I live in unaccustomed thrift, cherishing hours the way lovers prize moments. Even at that when the week is ended, it seems I've gone through another fortune. A day doesn't go as far as it used to. He's getting the point. Jesus never lived on an earthly timetable. You see, Jesus spent 30 years doing what? Making furniture. Or building houses or something. He was a carpenter. 30 years. If, if you have a, a gifted child, what do you do? You, you get them going in a direction, right? You get them into the gifted and talented program. You start giving them the, the baseball lessons or the ballet lessons. You, you start investing in them because you want, don't want them to waste their time. Okay? So what was God doing with Jesus? Was he wasting his time? No, because God's timetable is so much different than what you think, what we think. 
It's a different timetable. And Jesus says, I'm going to go with what he says. So Jesus did nothing for 30 years. And then in three years, he did all of his ministry. And at the end of that three years, he was able to lift up his eyes and pray, thank you, God, that I did everything that you asked me to do. Everything. I've done it all. Everything. He accomplished everything God sent him to do. Not by making the most of his time in a worldly way of thinking, but by serving the Lord the way the Lord said. Very interesting. Jesus said that his brothers could go whenever they wanted. Their time is always ready, he said. This means that God could care less what they do because they're not on his timetable anyway. Do whatever you want if you're not going to serve God because your life won't matter anyway. Harsh, right? This means his brothers were not believers and Jesus was not their Lord at this point in time. Though they thought they served the same God, but Jesus affirms that they did not. They had a human way of thinking. What would get Jesus noticed? What would help him accomplish his mission? Hey, Jesus, do you know there's a bunch of people over there? Why don't you go just show yourself to them? Do a fancy miracle. But Jesus was never about popularity. Remember, he never, he, whenever he did a miracle and healed someone, what did he tell them? Right? And we always think, that is so weird. Who else? Does anyone else think that was weird as you're reading through? Why are you doing that, Jesus? Don't you want people to know who you are? And Jesus would say, I don't, I'm not doing it that way. I don't need anyone to help me accomplish my mission. My mission is to obey my Father. You can't help me do that. I'm going to do it myself. But Jesus, you know, Jesus was fully submitted to the God's timetable for his life. Jesus would not look to men or even himself to decide what to do or when to do it. He looked only to God to give him direction. And that's what we are called to do now as well with our time. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Romans 6, verse 13. If you were to see Jesus living, you would realize he is not his own boss. He was looking to his father morning by morning. He would go to the word and receive his marching instructions for that day. And look at what it says here in Romans 6, 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. This means I am not my boss anymore. Presenting your members, he says, as slaves to God means he is the boss of your body parts. And he is the boss of your time, the way you spend your time with your body parts. He gets to decide what you do on Saturdays. But he also gets to decide what you do on Tuesdays. 
and Thursdays and birthdays. The one-seventh law command is not over you anymore. But grace has equipped us to live seven-sevenths in surrender, full surrender to God. How cool is that? Let's turn to Hebrews 4, 11. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Full surrender, absolute surrender. Absolute Surrender is a great book by Andrew Murray. If you haven't read it, read Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. It's great. Hebrews 4.11 says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Living for God looks a lot different than we think at first. At first we think we're going to have to put a bunch of work in. You're telling me I have to live all my time for God? Well, this is going to be really tiring. I mean, am I going to be staying up late? Am I going to be out building homes for homeless people 24 hours a day? I mean, what am I supposed to do? What is this going to look like? Well, first we, um, first we think it's going to look like a bunch of work. But actually it looks and feels a lot more like resting in a work that was already accomplished. That's what it looks and feels like. On the outside, the world may look at you and say, you are always cleaning the church. You are always serving at church. You are always seeking the Lord. You are always working hard for the Lord. But when you look at yourself and the way it's going to look and feel to you, your response is going to be, man, this doesn't feel like working. This feels a lot like resting. I just keep my eyes on Jesus and and it seems like this work just flows out of my life. We, as believers, are to constantly remember the work that Jesus did on the cross. That's what it means to abide in Christ. You're constantly lifting your eyes to what he did, remembering Jesus. That's why we have communion. That's why we spend time with him in the morning and go to him at any, every moment in the day that we can to abide in him as we're remembering what he did on the cross and what it means for me right now. And grace, God's favor, flows through that work that Jesus did into our hearts, which causes us to work harder than anyone else because it doesn't feel like work. It's love-powered. It's grace-powered. It's Holy Spirit-powered. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul said the same thing. He said, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored worked more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. I was having a conversation with my wife uh, yesterday, today, yesterday, about working. And I said, I, I, I love teaching on Sundays and I love discipling you guys during the week. I love singing and playing worship. I, love, I never miss a Sunday if I can. I don't want to take time off. And she says, yeah, but you're, what'd you say? <laughs> you're supernatural. That's weird. She called me a weirdo. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> and I said, you're right. It is supernatural. Because that's not me. I get, if I start something, I generally don't finish it because I'm a slacker. And I, I'm really excited about something, and then I get into it, and I realize it's hard, and then I give up. Anyone else like me? Oh, yeah. We, I mean, I have unfinished projects, unfinished books. In my flesh, in my humanity, that is who I am. But when I'm supernaturally empowered, when I'm changed by the love and grace of Jesus, I can serve an unlimited amount. I mean, I do meeting after meeting and study and pray, and I'm just like, Lord, where is this even coming from? And Paul tells us, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Oh, but man, I'm so tired when I get from, from work. How can I love my family and my weird kids when I get home from work? How can I obey the commands of the Lord to love my family and lead them when I'm tired? And the answer is very simple. God will give you the strength. It's your heart that's the problem. You want to take back that time and hold it for yourself and say, this is my time. God, I need rest time. I need me time. And God says, where's your Sabbath, bro? Where's your Sabbath? I, I, thought, I, would get, I thought I was your rest. Am I not your rest? Have you been refreshed in my presence recently? No, I just worked all day. Well, spend some time refreshing yourself in my presence and get ready to serve me because your day's not done yet. Amen, husbands? Amen. Amen, Amen wives? Amen. <laughs> Paul says, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Could you say that? Is the grace of God within you like that? It's available. Are we accessing it by humble dependence, humility, and faith? Hebrews 4 says, It is disobedient to not be diligent to enter that rest. Diligent. Well, how can I be diligent to rest? Ask a teenager. They can be diligent to rest. You have to say no to certain things. No, I'm not going to wake up right now. Teenagers say that. <laughs> How do I enter this rest? How can I be diligent to enter this rest? The answer is by faith. Your faith does not just bloom like a flower in the morning. Your faith is a muscle, and when you get up in the morning, who's got sore muscles? And it's like creaky and, uh, and uh, I got to stretch this out. I got to be diligent to get my muscles into shape every morning because I'm old and rickety, right? Amen. Well, the same thing happens to us spiritually. We have to be diligent to enter this rest morning by morning. We have to be diligent to start training our faith. Okay, I'm going to trust in the Lord in what? What promise am I going to trust in the Lord in today? Uh, well, let's get in the Word and find out. So we read the Word, we find a promise that we can hold on to, and we say, I'm going to trust, I'm going to have faith in this thing that the Word of God told me today. And that's your day. The Lord is supplying for you. The Lord is equipping you for that day. By trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, 
looking to it over and over and over in the midst of every situation and every trial and every challenge is how we grow this faith. And it does grow like a muscle. And the muscles don't grow by sitting there and doing nothing. They grow by exercise, right? So looking to Jesus over and over and over again in faith is the definition of diligent faith. Over and over and over. I thought when I became a Christian, I just said a prayer and then I was a Christian. Well, that's the start. But God desires a growth in your life. He desires you to come to him over and over so that he can grow your faith. So it's not just this baby little faith that saved you, but it becomes a mature faith that can affect other people and you can live a life that serves him and glorifies him. Well, what if I don't want to say no to all my own ways. Can't I just be a Christian one day and that's good for the rest of my life? Can't I just do what I want to do every other day of the week? What if I just give him Sundays? Would he be happy with that? Mark 8.34. Mark 8.34. What if I don't want to be diligent in my faith? Mark 8.34, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, this is Jesus, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So there's this open invitation to be a disciple of Jesus. Hey, if you want to be my disciple, great. This is the way. He called all the people and his disciples. A disciple of Jesus Uh, follows Jesus daily. Daily. A disciple denies themselves. Denies themselves. A disciple says no to self. That's what deny self is. And a disciple says death to self. That's pretty extreme. And Jesus says here, there are no other options. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a disciple and follow me, the only way we're going to do this is 100% all in, I am your boss. You will follow me. But but you know, Jesus, you got to be careful with me because I'm, I'm, I'm fragile. And if I don't get what I want, I throw a temper tantrum. You ever said that to the Lord? If you don't give me this, I am going to just be a meanie. Disciples have to say no to their desires, their fleshly desires, and follow Christ. And then they go further and they say, not just no to you, but death to you, self. Death to you. Hmm. But if I kill all my ways and all my plans and all the things I want to do with my own time, then won't my life be boring? Won't I just be a slave? And I thought slavery was bad. Let's look at Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Many of you have this one memorized, but it's just a good encouragement for us. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Wow, crucifixion with Christ, that sounds like death to self. 
self-crucifixion? And that's not an easy death. That's a painful death. And that's what Jesus says it takes to follow him. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you call the life of the risen Son of God being poured into your heart moment by moment boring, then there you go. Go. Call it boring and live your life that way. But in reality, that experience is one of the most love you could ever experience. And sacrifice on your behalf and you understand it and you drink it in and it's poured into you day after day after day and there is no joy like it. Every piece of art that has ever stirred you and moved you. Anyone ever see a piece of art that was just like, whoa? What was it? Jesus. On Art. Yeah, one time I was in St. Petersburg, Russia, and at the Hermitage, they have this Rembrandt called The Prodigal Son, and I just stood there for like an hour like, whoa. The, the emotions that Rembrandt was able to capture on people's faces was really incredible. And I was like, whoa. How, how many times do you say, whoa, when you're watching TV? Something is appealing, or something is cool, or you're watching a movie, or, or you even go to the mountains and you see some beautiful mountain, and you're like, whoa. All of that is simply foreshadow of what Jesus is and fulfills in us. He is the culmination of all beauty and all arts and all woe. That's called glory. He is the source of all glory. Everything that people are seeking after, the high of drugs, the, the power of business success, the relational things about having lots of relationships, the, the fulfillment that you get, all of it is simply pointing to Jesus. Jesus fulfills what those people are searching for that are digging for it in all these places. He's fulfilling it. And so dying to ourselves and allowing him to live in us is simply letting him be all, letting him satisfy you, letting him fill you with his love, with his sacrificial love. And in that process of letting go of what I think is cool, what I think is fun, what I think is boring, letting go of it, dying to it, we live through Christ. He gives us a replacement. When you deny self, he gives you a replacement. And that replacement is his very spirit. It is wonderful. It is so good. And once you've tasted of that spirit, what do you want? More, right? You just want to live in it. You want to live in it. You want to be there. It's wonderful. I get more of his love daily. I experience more of the benefits of his sacrifice daily. And when we come and we do communion, we're just reminding of our, ourselves of what is given to us daily. 
We're looking back at that life of Christ. And we're recommissioning ourselves to surrender seven-sevenths, not one-seventh. Hmm. What if you had an employee that worked one-seventh of the time? God has invited us to serve him. So I die to my own ways and I serve him. So what do you want us to do, pastor? What are you asking us to do? You want us to come here early and vacuum? Maybe. Try harder. Try harder. <laughs> I can't answer that question for you, but we're going to read Romans 12.1. And I'll just answer that question like this. What do you want us to do? Romans 12.1. I beseech you, that's beg you, Therefore, by the mercies of God, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Not one-seventh of your bodies, all of your body. Not one-seventh of your time, all of your time. Anything else is a waste. It's stealing time from the one who owns it. What? I can steal time from God? How does he own my time? I'm an American. <laughs> I thought he gave me my life so I could live it. Isn't that what God did? He gave me my life so I could live it? 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I didn't sign up for that. Oh, you didn't? Hmm, I think you did. If you didn't, I invite you to. It's a good deal. Get your sin washed away, go to heaven, serve God. He says here, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What's he referencing? The temple in Israel. And the temple in Israel wasn't used for anything except for God's glory. That was the intention anyway. I mean, they weren't throwing raves in their temple at night. Yahweh. They weren't having garage sales in their temple. They weren't building towers to reach the sky. They weren't working for retirement. They weren't focused on hobbies in their temple. They weren't obsessed with their technology and their iPhones or in their entertainment. They weren't doing plays in the temple. They were focused on remembering sacrifice. How did they do that? They had blood everywhere. They were killing stuff all the time. Blood sacrifice was remembered in the temple. You are the temple. How much time do you spend remembering the blood? Guys, morning by morning, just abide in remembering what Jesus did for you. They, they would sing in the temple. They would praise God in the temple. They would have beautiful sound coming from random places in the temple. <laughs> They, so, so that's a good thing to do with your temple. 
They would pray in the temple. There were times of prayer all day long. That's a great thing to do with your temple. We're talking about what do we do with our seven-sevenths? What does God want? He wants you to be the temple. Remember the blood. Praise, pray, sing. They were open to instruct the people of God at all times. You could go in there and it would be open. You could find a priest to talk to you about the things of God. They were there to serve the poor and the needy. The poor and needy could come and get help, food, mercy. They were there to counsel the lost and the confused with love and truth. All of these things are wonderful things for us to do with our temple. The temple foreshadows you. We look back at the temple like, oh, that was a big, cool thing. I wish I could have seen it. And they look forward to you saying, I wish I could see you as a Christian, as a believer. The fulfillment of all that the temple pictured is you. And God says, be the temple. Don't worry about your life, your time. Surrender it all. Be the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't close for business when he wants you to get to work. He wants to be using you. And instead of one temple in Jerusalem, God has franchised this ministry opportunity to the world. He now supplies the spirit and power, and you supply the building. He supplies the spirit and power, and you supply the location. Location, 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 right? I don't want to have to go to Jerusalem to have to receive ministry from the Lord. Neither do the hobos. Neither do your friends. Neither does your family. They need you to be the temple. And you can't take a day off. The temple, your body, your soul, God's spirit. God, the old covenant demanded one-seventh of our time, okay? The new covenant of grace secures 100% of our time is available for God's use. How about that? Even when you're sleeping, you're being used by God. Isn't that cool? As we restfully abide in Jesus, in humble dependence, we see God fulfill this requirement in our lives. Enter that relationship today for the first time or dive deeper today. Amen? Jesus is actively recruiting disciples. Are you going to respond to the call? Let's stand. Make your response. We're going to sing a song. We're going to have a time where you can come up and take communion, and we're going to pray. And as always, I invite you to respond in surrender and submission to God's will.